good. It's good to be here with you today. So the last five weeks, we've been in a study where we've been talking about what it means to love like Jesus, um, what it means, and specifically, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? And we've talked about the how every week, but today we're going to spend um, a, all of our time today talking about that, because frankly, I want to I love more like Jesus, and I know that you do too. I've been saying this every week, but something inside of us gravitates towards having more loving marriages, family relationships, friendships. That's where we naturally want to tend to or move forward. In fact, don't we look for solutions in relationship challenges that we face when something pops up? You want to find the fix for that. Nobody likes living in a relationship that's damaged, right? Who wouldn't want a better marriage or a better environment at work or at school? I'd like to get along better with people and even those that might call me their enemy. And I know the same is true for you. So we're in a series called Love Like That. And each week I've been emphasizing what we already know is that none of us have arrived yet. We're all trying to figure it out to get it right, largely because the stakes are so high. If we are going to be a people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, shouldn't our lives look like his? If we're following after him, what people should see in us is what they see in him. Now, we understand, like we said a while ago, we haven't arrived. We have sin in our lives. But we ought to be moving in that direction. This is something that we want to get right. Last week, we covered a chapter on self-giving. And while uh, each of these messages, and I've shared this with you guys, have been transcripted by Les Parrott, he didn't do one for this final conclusion chapter, but I felt like it would be significant for us to spend some time doing this today. And the last chapter is titled, How Is This Even Possible? Right? We've been talking for five weeks about how to love like Jesus. And the question is, how do we go about doing that? What does that look like? Today, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, we can't do it. Number two, Jesus can, and he'll do it through us. And then thirdly, what does it look like when we love like Jesus. And I'm going to give some real world examples from this week of what that's looked like, not only in my life, but in some of your lives as well. I hinted at this throughout the series, and most likely you either already knew it going in or you figured it out as you've kind of tried to live this out the last five weeks is that we can't love like Jesus. It's hard for us. I know it seems terrible to end a series that's focused on how we do this by saying that we can't, but that's the reality that we face. In fact, most of us have already spent years or maybe even decades dedicating our lives to trying to do what Dr. Parrott describes, to love like Jesus. We've spent innumerable hours devoted to trying to make ourselves love better. After all, it'd be good for us to be more like Jesus, right? We like the ideas, the idea of things. And I want to explain what I mean by that. We like the idea of things. Um, what I mean by that is that we can hear or see something and think, man, it would be awesome if I could do that. Have you ever had that experience before? I'm going to share one of mine with you. One day I was watching YouTube and you know how you can fall down the YouTube rabbit hole and you're watching something that you've never watched before and it fascinates you. It could be alien conspiracies or, or whatever, right? Mine was, I, I, I ran across this guy and I can't even remember his name, but he was like a master carpenter. Okay, like would do these super, the super precise stuff. Like I'm not talking about like rough carpentry, like framing a house. Like that's significant. That needs to be done correctly. But you're cutting things with chop saws and skill saws. And if you're off by, you know, an eighth or a sixteenth of an inch, not a big deal, right? The house is still going to go up, no problem. This guy was about precision. Everything was hand cut to 
perfection. Like whenever you mark a line, we're going to cut a piece of wood. Typically my kids found a carpenter's pencil in the back of my truck yesterday. And they're like, dad, what's this flat pencil about? You know, I was like, well, it has really thick lead. So it doesn't break. So you can draw a line. So when you're cutting something for framing a house, you're cutting big, your line is an eighth of an inch wide. And so it's a big cut. This guy would use exacto blades to make his lines, right? I'm talking about precision. He would mark the lines and then he'd take these, these chisels that you could shave with and he'd start chiseling this wood out and he would make these hand cut precise dovetails that fit together. If you've never seen a dovetail, it's a wood joinery thing and you couldn't see any gaps in it. It didn't require glue or anything like that. And he would use these exotic woods and these really crazy sharp hand planes and he would make it all smooth. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, I want to do that. Like it was appealing to me. Craig's back in the back going, yeah, you know, I just, I really got pumped about it. So that year for my birthday, everybody's like, what do you want for your birthday? I want some of these tools. And guess where those tools are? collecting dust in my toolbox, okay? Because I tried a couple of times. We had these cabinets in our house. They're not even in our house anymore. This is how long ago this was. But I, we, we made them shorter to make a coffee bar, and the drawers were too long. I was like, not a big deal. I've been watching these videos. I got the tools now. I'm going to build some drawers. Guess what? They didn't work. I liked the idea of being a master carpenter, but when it came to the execution, I failed. Now, I was willing to invest some time and some money in this, but it didn't go the way I expected it to go. As soon as I began to try and then it failed, I just quit and moved on to the next thing. I know that all of us in this room have had very similar experiences to that. Yours may not have been in master carpentry. It could have been in something else. But you guys are smart. You know where I'm going with this, right? All of us have tried the same experience with our religious lives. Where we hear an idea and it grabs our hearts. We feel motivated by it. We're like, yes, this is what I'm going to be about. I'm going to devote my life to it. I read a book a couple of years ago. It was one by David Platt. And it wasn't the, the popular ones. It was something else. It was about we need to make a change in our lives. And I'm like, yes, I am going to do this. I went and got a new journal. And I'm going to start journaling every day again. And that lasted about a week. And then I fell off. We like the idea of being better humans. That is appealing to us. We all want to strive to be that. We want to be like Jesus and we want to love the way that he did, but we all know that deep down, it's just not sustainable. Yesterday morning, Kerry sent me a, a link from Utmost and he said he thought it would fit perfectly for where we are in this series and he was absolutely right. I want you to listen. I'm going to read. It's, uh, it's an Oswald devotional, so it's not too long. But I want, you to, I want to read this to you this morning because I want you to see not only that God was speaking the same thing through one of our other elders about what we we're going to talk about today, but I want you to see that God has a message for us, okay? I want to read this. The, the, the devotion was called Spontaneous Love. He says, love is not premeditated. It's spontaneous. That is, it burst forth in extraordinary ways. There is nothing of precise certainty in Paul's description of love. We cannot predetermine our thoughts and actions by saying, Now, I will never think any evil thoughts, and I will believe everything that Jesus would have me to believe. No, the characteristic of love is spontaneity. We don't deliberately set the statements of Jesus before us as our standard, but when His Spirit is having His way with us, we live according to His standard without even realizing it. And when we look back, we're amazed at how unconcerned we have been 
over our emotions, which is the very evidence that real spontaneous love was there. The nature of everything involved in the life of God in us is only discerned when we have been through it and it is in our past. He says the fountains from which love flows are in God, not in us. It is absurd to think that the love of God is naturally in our hearts as a result of our own nature. His love is there only because it has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And he references Romans 5, 5, which we'll look at in a minute. If we try to prove to God how much we love him, it's a sure sign that we really don't love him. The evidence of our love for him is the absolute spontaneity of our love, which flows naturally from his nature within us. And when we look back, we'll not we will not be able to determine why we did certain things, but we can know that we did them according to the spontaneous nature of his love that is in us. The life of God exhibits itself in this spontaneous way because the fountains of love are in the Holy Spirit. Oswald's putting to words what we all know and have experienced in our lives. On our own, we cannot love like Jesus. He references um, of some very popular words from Paul. And even if you've never been to church in your life or read the Bible, you know this passage, okay? Um, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that read at a wedding. I think everybody in this room. Okay. Now, if you're married, did you live up to that? Nope. Probably failed in the next 10 minutes after you said I do. There was something in there where you were not patient or kind or whatever. Right? That bar is high. Oswald is pointing out that it's absurd for us to think that it comes naturally to us. He even quotes part of Romans 5, 5, where it says that it is only in us through the Holy Spirit. The only thing that's ever going to be good in us doesn't come from us. It comes from God who lives inside of us. The first step in us loving like Jesus is to realize that if we attempt this in our own power, we will fail and we're going to make God look bad in the process. So what do we do? If we can't love like Jesus, where do we even start? How does a person's nature completely change? Look with me at the theme passage for this study. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to underline or write out some specific parts of this verse. In verse 1, underline the word watch. Watch what God does. And then you do it. Like children who learn proper, proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God, God does is love you. Underline this, keep company with him and learn a life of love. And then underline the word observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Paul's telling us that if we want to love like Jesus, we do that by watching God. We do that by keeping company with him. And observing what Jesus does. Gosh, you know, there's a, there's a word to describe all of those things. What is it? Anybody know? Come on. Oh, yes, that's the one. 
Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Jesus is going to do this through us. We're not going to do it on our own. A focal passage for us at the gathering places um, is John chapter 5. Uh, John chapter 15. Specifically today, I want to point out verse 5 where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do what? Nothing without me. It is only through abiding in Jesus that we can love like him. Can I just say that when I was reading this book for the first time, it gave me a lot of anxiety. Because as I read the book, as I went through those first five chapters, to me, it felt like a list. But I wanted to finish it because that's, that's just how I roll. If I start something, I want to see it through to completion. And so, and it's not a long book. If you've read it or listened to it, you know it's not terribly long. And I listened to it on the way to Shreveport or just north of Shreveport and back in one sitting. And as I got to this final chapter where he kind of talks about like, how is this even possible? If you go look at the book, the first line, the kind of the subheading to how is this even possible is John chapter 15, verse 5. And I thought, okay, all right, I'm on board. Let's go see what this guy's got to say. It was such a relief for me. Many of us are still recovering from all the years of trying to be like Jesus on our own. But when we take what we've learned about abiding and we combine that with the focus on loving like Jesus, things start happening. Not because we're doing a good job, not because we're doing something, but because we're we're taking this focus of what it means to love like Jesus, we're plugging that into abiding, and now God is able to do some new things through us. I want to share a story with you of something that happened this week. And I'll, I'll preface this with saying, I don't know the full extent of what God's going to do in this scenario long term, but the short term was pretty cool. And, and I didn't even realize what was happening as it was happening. It wasn't until the next day when I was kind of rethinking through the situation, I went, Oh my gosh. So let me tell you this story, okay? And, and I want to preface it also with this. I make a point when I'm at work to be as authentic and vulnerable as I can be. So what that looks like is if I'm really stressed out, I let people know that I'm stressed out. If I'm struggling with something, I'm honest with the struggle. If I make a mistake, I admit that I made a mistake. If I'm excited about something, I tell them I'm excited and why. When I'm at work, when people find out that I'm a pastor, because I don't walk around, I don't know if y'all know this, I don't walk around with a sticker or something on it that says I'm a pastor, Right? Some people know that because they've known me for a while, but there's a lot of guys at our company that don't know that. And so it always happens this way, whether it's at work or someone else. When somebody finds out I'm a pastor, they immediately apologize for something they had said previously, and their whole demeanor changes. Have you all experienced that before? Okay. And I always respond the same way. I'm like, look, man, you be you. Don't change who you are on account of me. And I say that because I want them to be authentic as well, because life's better that way, right? When we're being ourselves with other people, it just works out better for everybody. And I want them to feel comfortable around me. I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them. And so that's kind of how I present myself at the office. Well, Friday, I got to do something that I, I never get to do. I got to go on a job site and actually work with a crew on a project. I didn't have to, but I just needed to get out of the office. I'd been staring at a computer all week, and I needed to go check on this job. And there was a really complicated thing that was happening, and I wanted to just put my eyes on it. But I also just wanted to spend time with people. And so we're on this job site, hanging out, and there's four other construction workers there with me. And we're talking and working on this big thing. I won't describe it. It's complicated. But all five of us are standing around this one box putting parts in it. 
And as we're, we're doing that, we're talking, you know, construction workers being construction workers and me being me. And all of a sudden, in the middle of these conversations, one of the guys says, Will, you're a pastor. I got a question. That's always loaded, okay? That usually never follows up with something that's going to be fun, okay? And I said, go ahead, man. You got a question? I got to answer. At least I'll make one up, being honest. And he asked me a question about a very specific sin. I'm not going to discuss what that was today because we got little ears in the room. But he asked a question about a sin and said, what do you think about that? Now, I know that this question politically is loaded. I don't know what his experience is. I don't know what his expectation of me is and how he's looking for me to respond. And honestly, it made me a little nervous. And so I, in that moment, I said, God, what do you want me to say? How do I respond to this? Because there's an audience. The conversation went, everybody's got eyes on Will. I said, God, what do you want me to do right here? And I said, well, man, I've never personally struggled with that. But I can tell you this, all of us have sins in our lives. And culturally, we have kind of defined which ones are worse than others. But God doesn't see see those things that way. And so while some people may struggle with that particular sin, I know that God loves me even in the middle of my sin, and I know that he loves those people in the middle of their sin. Now, it doesn't mean that God's okay with the sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have to deal with the consequences of that sin, but it does mean that God loves us. And a few other guys kind of interjected their thoughts that were along the same lines, and we're getting some head nods. And so I said, man, does that answer your question? He's like, well, kind of. And then somebody else made a comment, and what I figured out is that someone that's very close to him confess to their family this sin that they're struggling with and it affected him and he wasn't sure how to respond and I think what he really wanted for me was my permission to be really upset about it but what he got out of it was a conversation I mean 15 minutes the five of us are out there working in the middle of the sun talking about the love of Jesus and that didn't happen because I had a plan I didn't go to to West Monroe Friday thinking, all right, I'm going to spend 15 minutes with these guys telling them about the love of Jesus. I went to get out of the office. I didn't realize until the next day. But Jesus had had me respond the same way that he had the Pharisees, that, that Jesus responded to the Pharisees when they brought the adulterous woman to him. Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago? Jesus brings the, the Pharisees bring this woman who's caught in the act of adultery and says, the law says we should stone her, what should we do? This guy didn't know he was asking that kind of question, but that's what he was asking. And I didn't realize it in the moment, but I responded the way Jesus responded. And what I want to point out is that I didn't, I didn't respond that way because I've been trained. I didn't respond that way because I learned how to do that in school or because I'm really smart. I didn't know how to respond. I knew that that was a loaded question. I didn't know why he was asking him. I had no frame of reference. And so I just said, God, what do you want me to do? How do I respond to this? We've been talking a lot about loving like Jesus, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, love him like Jesus. Okay, so that's what I did. But God was doing something bigger than that. I want you to understand that when the question was asked, I didn't immediately know how to respond. I, I just asked God, I'm not the hero in this story. God's the hero in this story. I'm confident that you've been in similar situations And I also know that you have the same spirit living in you that I have in me. Paul writes to the church in Colossae about how God reveals himself to us and through us. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, 
but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. Church, as we stay connected to the vine, as we watch, as we observe what God is doing around us, he is going to share his own glory through you. We don't love like Jesus by trying really hard. We love like Jesus by letting Jesus who lives in us work through us. We don't need motivation. We don't need skills. We don't need the right setting. We only need to abide in Jesus and he will do the rest through us. So the third thing I wanted to talk about today is what does it look like when we love like Jesus? How does that affect the world around us? Over the past five weeks, we've looked at five specific, specific characteristics of Jesus' loves. The first one was being mindful. Being mindful to others as Jesus was requires intentionally setting aside our own agenda. The second thing was approachable. Loving like Jesus means people know that you are approachable and open-armed to everyone. Third thing was graceful. Engaging people with grace, not judgment, is the loving action. The fourth thing was bold. Truthfulness is at the center of a more loving life and it makes us more authentic. And then the fifth was self-giving. Humility is not putting yourself down but lifting others up. As we look at that list, just trying to do one of those seems impossible, much less all five at one time. But if we'll abide in Christ and let him exhibit those qualities through us, the world around us is going to begin to see who Jesus is. We've all heard people talk about the hypocrisy they see in the church, and they're not wrong. As we've already discussed, many of us spent a lot of time in previous years trying to be something that we weren't. We looked at a list like how to love like Jesus, and we said, I'm going to do those. And when we're doing it on our own power, we fail and we falter, and people see that and they go, hypocrite? And they're not wrong. On the opposite side of the spectrum, If we'll try to be real and just let Jesus live through us, the world is going to begin to see that authenticity. They're going to begin to see who God is, and they're going to be drawn in, not turned away. One last story this morning I want to share with you. And I'm sharing somebody else's story, but I got their permission to do it. Over the last month or so, you guys know we started our Thursday night ministry, and Craig Glasscock has been inviting some young men that he works with to come and join us and play basketball. Now, I don't know what all Craig has said to those guys when he's at work, but I know Craig's heart, right? What I do know as well is that his environment at work is not ideal. He's struggling. It's difficult to work for the people that he's working for. And we, I'm sure we all know what it's like to work for people that are not pleasant to be around, right? However, in spite of all of that trouble at work, Craig's intent is to abide in Christ as he's at work. This Thursday, one of the guys that, he was in, that he's been inviting came to play ball. Now, I did not know that Craig had invited this guy. He's the uh, brother of somebody else that's come. His name was, uh, well, I won't tell you his name. We'll save that for later. After the game, every, every Thursday night, we play a first game, and then we take a break, and we grab a drink, some snacks, and then I lead about a five to ten minute short devotional. And I'll be honest, this, this last week, I really felt like the lesson just fell flat, like I just didn't, they didn't, the guys did not respond at all, much less the way that I anticipated 
that they would. And, and I've learned over the years that if I pray and God gives me a message, the, the burden on me is simply to say what God's told me to say, and then the response is up to him, right? We know that. We've talked about that before. And so when nights like that happen, I don't get, I don't get bent out of shape about it. I say, God, I feel like I said what you needed me to say. Now, if I didn't, correct me on that. I want to make sure that I'm saying the right things, but God didn't do that. And Thursday night ended. I mean, we had a great time. We played a lot of ball and didn't have a lot of conversation. The guys were not real talkative, and we went on about our business. Friday, Craig calls me, and I was in the middle of some stuff, so I called him back that evening. And he said, hey, by the way, that new guy that came is one of the guys from work that I've been inviting. I'm like, oh, man, that's cool. That's awesome. Like, that's a cool thing. He's like, well, that's not all. He said, so we're at work today. And he said, you made a comment. And he said, I didn't really hear all that you said, but you made a comment about how your relationship with God changed about 12 years ago. And he said, the guy pulled me aside at work and asked me, what that, what that was and what I meant by that. Do y'all realize how significant that is? I don't even fully remember what I said, but I made an offhand comment about the fact that God had done something in my life about 12 years ago that completely changed how I saw God and what it meant to be in a relationship with him. What I was talking about was learning to abide. That's what I was referencing. But I didn't explain all that. And the next day at work, this guy who... I didn't think was paying any attention, just like the rest of the guys sitting there. I assume they weren't paying any attention either. He heard something. And Craig's like, well, look, man, I'm, I'm going to just tell you, Will's the pastor of our church. And the guy was like, what? Because, <laughs> again, I don't advertise that. And he's like, what you got on Wednesday nights can be the same thing we do on Sunday mornings. You should come and listen. This guy was drawn to Jesus, not because I did a great job, because I felt like I didn't. He was drawn to Jesus because he saw authenticity and the Holy Spirit was doing something in his heart. And it grabbed his attention. And it's not because of me. And it's not because of Craig. It's because Jesus. Craig was abiding in work. And he invited the people God told him to invite. I am abiding in Christ. And I taught the lesson I felt like God taught, told me to teach. And as a result of us abiding. The Holy Spirit's begun to work in somebody's heart. Church, that's what this is about. That's literally this whole series, that's what it's about. Loving like Jesus means abiding in him and just being his in the middle of work, whether it's great or not. This is what our focus is. When Jesus began his ministry, he turned the world upside down. And it wasn't because of his miracles, those were really cool. But that's not what turned the world upside down. People like a show, but a show very quickly fades from memory. We all know the story of the woman at the well. We've read that a bunch. And we know that there was no physical healings that happened or any other miracles that we know of that happened in that story. Jesus strikes up a conversation and he reveals his love for all people and for this woman through that conversation. If you go back and look at it later, you're going to see in that conversation all five characteristics that we have talked about this week or the last five weeks. It isn't the conversation that I want to focus on this morning, but rather I want us to look at what happened after Jesus had this loving conversation with this woman. I want us to pick up just after that interaction at the well, and let's see what happened. This is from John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. It says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. 
And they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So here's a woman who had a conversation with Jesus. As they talked, she experienced his love and it changed her. She was so excited about what Jesus had done in her life that she ran and told everybody in town. And their interest peaked because of what Jesus did in her life. Then the people went to experience Jesus for themselves. And as a result of her story and their personal experiences, they chose to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you see what's happening here? This woman had an experience with Jesus. It changed her. She was excited about it. She went and told people about her experience. That piqued their interest. And then they went to have their own experience. That's the goal of loving like Jesus. It's to be authentic with people. To love them right where they are, just like Jesus loves us right where we are. And then we share the stories of what God's doing in our lives so that they begin to see not that we are good people, but that a good God is working in our lives in these messed up people. This woman didn't have fancy words or know some special way to present the gospel. They didn't, she didn't have one of them cubes that you open up and it presents the plan of salvation. She didn't have an acrostic memorized. She just told her story. It's like, y'all, I went to the well to get some water and this dude walked up and starts telling me all the things I ever did. Y'all got to meet this guy. And so they went out and met Jesus and they begged him to stay. And he stayed for two days and he taught and people came to believe in him. The result of her story was many more people hearing the message and choosing to believe in Jesus. And in case you've missed it, we've spent over a year practicing how to tell our stories right here. That's not been an accident. God's begun to do a work in us to show us that if we'll just abide in him, Day by day, moment by moment, God bless you. <laughs> if we'll abide in him day by day, he's going to work through us. I, I, want you to, I want you to have this as a litmus test on your day. You get to the end of your day and you're like, man, I, didn't, I don't know that I really saw God today. Here's how you know. If we're abiding in him, what happens after we choose to obey? What's the next step? Anybody remember? That's almost, you're, you're a step ahead. What happens before we grow? What does God do? That's it. Yeah, look, if y'all forgotten how this abiding cycle thing works, we got some books up here y'all can read. They're free. Okay, somebody designed a very nice cover for it. After we choose to obey, God does what only God can do. So if you're struggling with will, I don't have any stories to tell, I would challenge you that perhaps you're not abiding every day. Because I'm telling you, if you spend time with God on a daily basis, God is going to work in your life. And if your goal is to know him, you are going to see that work because it's going to stand out and it's going to be obvious that it's not you, that it's him. If we're going to love like Jesus, that only happens one way. And it's by abiding in Christ. The most important part of loving Jesus is our abiding. Or as Paul said it, watch what God does and then you do it. Jesus gave everything of himself. Love like that. I want to close out today in John chapter 15. 
verses 7 through 8 because I want us to be reminded functionally how this works, how we abide. In John chapter 15, verse 7, it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Friends, God wants to work in your life because he wants you to see his goodness and he wants the people in your life to see his goodness. That's why we love like Jesus. He wants to produce much fruit in your life and all that's required for that to happen is for us to make a decision every day when we get up before we start our day, you decide, I'm going to abide today. This is what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. And as we experience it for ourselves, we're also modeling that experience for the people in our lives. And they may not realize what's going on, but they will learn. The guy that Craig's been talking to, been ministering to at work, he doesn't understand yet. But if Craig continues to abide, he's going to have an opportunity to. Again, I want to remind you, the results are not on Craig. Those are on God. And the results of the people in your life are not on you. That's on God. But your role in this whole process of loving like Jesus is just, as David Platt would say, write the blank check. God, whatever you need of me today, I'll do it. That's how we love like Jesus. As we abide, God is glorified and people are drawn to him. You want to love like Jesus? Abide in him. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for what you've taught me these last six weeks. Father, I'm challenged by the message that you have for us today. And I'm so thankful that I've gotten glimpses of of your work this week. God, I know that all of us want to do better. We want to be better people. God, help it settle in our hearts today that the only way we do that is by abiding in you, by just simply saying yes to whatever it is you're calling us to. God, as we get up tomorrow morning, I ask that the first thing on our minds would be you. God, that you would give us moments, an opportunity to just spend some time with you away from the distractions of our day and to come to know you, Father, to to experience you, to see you in your word. And then, Father, as we go through the rest of our Monday, as horrible as Mondays can be, God, I ask that you would help us to see your activity and that as we abide in you, people will be drawn not to us but to who you are. Father, help us to love like you. We ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.